0: Today's episode, I have a wonderful, wonderful guest whose book I am all about, and her name is Katie Barbaro, and I may have just mispronounced that, but beyond being a fabulous author of a new graphic novel kind of memoir, actually graphic memoir, is it, Katie? Yes, yeah, uh,
1: graphic memoir.
0: Called Fed Up, which is just hot off the press, and let me tell you, I've glimpsed it, and it's so fantastic, but... uh Katie is an intuitive healer and a creativity doula with a background in occupational therapy, trauma-informed yoga, and improv and stand-up comedy. You can definitely see that comedy bleed through in her writing. Katie will explain what a graphic memoir is, basically, because it's not something that it sounds dirty if you don't know what a graphic novel or graphic uh, literary work is. It may sound dirty, it's a wonderful <laughs> thing that she is doing, but she talks about a very important topic that I don't see a lot of people bringing humor to or talking about. And that is her, uh, an issue she struggled with. I have certainly and probably continue to struggle with eating disorders. And it's so important because as Katie and I were speaking before this interview, as a parent, even of daughters, I had no idea how much influence my relationship with food and my body was impacting my children. And that's something we want to have a positive impact on. And we want to know what to say to kids until my daughter brought home an illustration from her grade school, basically showing me saying in a little dialogue bubble, I'm fat. And then a little picture of her saying back, no, you're not And it was crushing. And so, Katie, thank you for the work that you're doing. So excited to have you. And please tell us about your journey to discuss this issue today. Oh,
1: thank you so much, Elizabeth. It's so wonderful to be here with you. And I love that. Thank you. I love that anecdote because we have that connection with this illustration around, you know, around body image and food you know, just all of that, that connection is really fun with your daughter as well. Right. And it's interesting, you know, the book is, it is a memoir and a graphic memoir. Um, that's funny. Cause I also didn't know the, the genre until I wrote a book in it, but basically it's um, it's all handwritten and illustrated. I love it. Me. So when you read it, it feels like you're getting a glimpse into my diary and.
0: It definitely does. And I will just say on show notes on my website, I'll have a, a screenshot so people can understand what that's like but it invites you right in.
1: I'm so glad. I'm so glad you feel that way. <laughs> yeah, it's um and it's interesting because the me- modality of drawing and writing in this way was really something that allowed me to depict feelings and experiences that felt beyond words, you know, my journey right. of First, even just coming to terms with the fact that I did have an eating disorder, like it's so interesting, you know, like your experience with your daughter is so common, I feel, because the themes of diet culture are pervasive in the Western world. And it's rare to have any kind of family or upbringing that doesn't have some underpinnings of diet culture within it. Some feeling of, I need to change my body in order to be accepted or to look better. I'm, I'm really satisfied with my life, except for these last five pounds or whatever it is. Correct. And that mentality overlaid onto whatever it is that we're feeling, it can lead to us using our bodies as a scapegoat for any negative emotion we have. And that's what I experienced.
0: Such a great, great way to put it too. using your body as a scapegoat. I mean, we can be successful, we can have an education, or we can have friends and people who love us a great marriage, whatever. And yet, as women, what we hold up is, but there is this flaw in my character, because I don't match what society thinks that I should. Right,
1: exactly. And It's this, yeah, it's like programmed in this not enoughness that does keep us small, ironically, because that's what we're striving to achieve is this smallness. And really what it is, is, you know, it's like limiting ourselves in every area of our lives.
0: Correct. 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 Mm. How did you get to the place? Like what was happening as you were growing up that you realized like, wow, this is a problem. This is not normal or healthy. If you can share a little bit about that.
1: Sure. I got to a point with my, um, you know, like I said, a lot of these, the ways I was thinking about food and dieting compulsively, counting my calories, exercising compulsively, all of that was very, I felt normal. It was Reinforced by society at large. And so when it came to um, a point in my life where I developed, I started developing bulimia, where I was binging and purging, I knew that that was disordered eating. Like I knew that something wasn't right. And it wasn't like an overnight thing at all, but at least my orientation towards this experience or my relationship with food was no longer um, one of denial. I was able to actually accept like, okay, something's wrong here. I'm not sure how to fix it, for instance, but I have a different uh, goal. I want to be healthy. I want to love myself. I'm obviously not living in alignment if this is what I'm doing.
0: And how old were you at, at about that point, Katie? you had that epiphany around I was
1: around 25. Right now I'm 32. Okay. okay. So it was yeah, it was a journey getting there. It was in, it's interesting cuz when we talk about persistence, you know, I was very persistent about losing weight. I was very goal oriented and and a lot of like dieting gave me a sense of confidence. Sure. It gave me a sense of power like I have, you know, this self-efficacy, um, in controlling my life, this false sense of control, or it was a a real sense of control, but not to the extent that I wanted
0: it. Right. It's, it it happens to a lot of people. I'm not calling you that you're a perfectionist, but I know I have perfectionist tendencies. It happens to a lot of us. It's like, here's the one thing I can control or I should be controlling. Let's see how well I do it to see how well I feel about myself. The scale becomes a horoscope. You know? Yes, 100%. I see the number on this scale and it's going to determine how nicely I treat my family and friends. 100%. (laughs) And
1: mostly how nicely I treat myself. Correct. Right? Am I going to be nice to myself today or not? It's like, oh my gosh, I'm giving away my power to this machine I'm stepping on.
0: That's and, wild when you think of it that way. And so often we really don't talk about it because it's also filled with a bit of shame and privacy issues. But did you talk to people about how you were feeling when you were 25 and started p- binging, purging and realizing this is not normal?
1: I did. I started um, disclosing to friends like one by one. I was also doing a lot of improv and even stand up at the time. Okay. And Uh, with, yeah, I started doing material because that's how I knew how to process things was writing about them, processing through them. And I kind of had this, you know, this feeling that, well, most things I just write about it and then I kind of work through it and it'll be fine. And so I kept having this fantasy about curing my eating disorder by through creative expression. And (laughs) Right. Sure. Creative expression is beautiful. And it and has been as like the book demonstrates very literally, it is a huge component of healing. But there was deeper healing that needed to take place. That wasn't just like surface level talking about it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There was some inner grappling that needed to happen and also a deeper level of surrender. When it came to really being honest, like my the way I would share when it first came up was very surface level and flippant. But I was being, you know, I was like, oh, you know, I'm kind of dealing with this bulimia thing, but I'm fine. Like I'm, I've got it under control. I'm talking to people. I'm doing a great job. But it was this way. I was kind of <laughs> putting a lid on it.
0: Right. And you didn't want to scare them. You wanted to reassure them you had it. You know. <laughs>
1: Exactly. Like a very codependent of like, I don't want her, I don't want you to feel burdened by this. Meanwhile, what I really needed to say, and it was, took me many, many attempts to really genuinely ask for help. You know, it's a really vulnerable thing to right. be in a position like that and be like, I don't, I don't know the answers.
0: Right. Wow. And so did you, and did you eventually reach out for more formal help? And and how does that look? You know, how does that look now? Because you're my daughter's generation. So I, I imagine it's a little more accessible. The first time I heard about eating disorders, even though trust me, I haven't gone to bed since I was about nine years old and calculated all the things I ate that day. But Karen Carpenter, it was a singer on the radio, very beautiful, famous singer on the radio in my generation, and she's died of the consequences of long-term eating disorders, but how in your generation that were smarter about it, how did that look when you decided, no, I need a little more support than this?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I, I think it, you know, everyone's journey looks different. And for me, I tried therapy. I tried like Mm -hmm. kind of whoever my insurance recommended and I remember my, yeah, my third session, I made my therapist cry. And I decided, well, this isn't working for me. Um, I need to go.
0: Oh, no. Did you apologize to her? Because that's what a lot of us feel like we need to do if we traumatize our therapist. Are yeah, you okay, exactly. therapist? I was, <laughs> I was like, I think
1: this is I'm just going to take this as evidence that I'm too much for you. And I'm going to just respectfully never come back. Um, right. Yeah. And meanwhile, you know, she's just having her own vulnerable journey, but I was like, what's happening right now? Like, I didn't understand how it was supposed to work. Like it was, yeah, oh, it was, dear. it was, it was pretty silly. I, t- I definitely talk about that in the book. Um, but there, but yeah, <laughs> there were these, every, there were so many layers of asking for help. Right. And actually the, one of the biggest turning points for me was, um, I had a relapse cause actually moving to New York, um, to become, I was You know, really set on, I'm going to start really living for me. I went through this big breakup and realized that I was completely orienting my life towards my partner at the time. And then I found out he was cheating on me, and my world turned upside down. And it made me really second guess or just take a second look at everything I was taking for granted as being true. And you know, I realized I would love to go and pursue acting and comedy full time. And so I moved to New York and I did that. And then my um, eating disorder behaviors kind of subsided a little bit, but I had um, temporarily, of course, I was still in a really restrictive headspace, you know, where I was, it was like, I wasn't in like peace around food. I was just in like, we've got it all under control kind of land. And then with a relapse, I started actually looking for treatment centers and stuff like that everything was so expensive and I was just like how am I going to afford this this is like I've never invested this much money in myself ever and I was talking with a friend who I was writing stand-up with and I was like oh yeah I'm actually just by the way I'm writing material about my eating disorder and she said oh I'm in overeaters anonymous I was like what is that and I had no idea and then I started going to these anonymous meetings with her oh Okay. And that was this like other world of like everybody in the room understands what you're talking about. And I, it was like for the first time, I felt like I could actually just be honest. I didn't have to take care of anybody who was receiving my truth. Like I couldn't, I couldn't say anything to shock these people. Right. It was like there was <laughs> this amazing permission slip to just let it all hang out, let my truth be there. And, you know, my experience there gave me this feeling, I want the whole world to be able to feel this way.
0: Wow. And Katie, that's so interesting that you bring that up, because I think most people such as myself may think of Overeater Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous as a group for people who need help stopping morbid obesity or stopping eating, you know, I think of it as a sort of a weight loss group, but this sounds so much healthier than I would have ever thought. So the, and it's affordable and accessible to people.
1: Right. Yes. And I mean, of course, you know, I'm not one of the, the principles is like, we're not here to promote or do anything like that. So sure, you know, sure, I'm sure, sharing it as part of my experience, but the the only requirement for membership there is that you have a desire to stop eating compulsively. And that can be, and as you, as you might know, or your listeners might know, there's the reason why people binge or overeat is often because of some sort of restriction. So there's either emotional or psychological or physical deprivation from certain types of food and being in that state so such as dieting right like the mm-hmm. whole premise of dieting is being in this I in this state of mind where I shouldn't be eating certain things. there's all of these rules around food and that state of deprivation creates, like an equal and opposite reaction of binging and overeating. And that's actually the body doing what it is designed to do in situations of deprivation and starvation.
0: So interesting. I love this. Well, that's fantastic. And when you started writing about your journey and it is funny, I mean, I think one of the things I love so much about the book is that it's very relatable, but it's also Now, eating disorders are very serious, and they can kill people, and they certainly create so much heartache and misery, no question. So we know that you're not laughing about eating disorders, but it gives permission to talk about something in a way that is not tragic and does not make people, uh, uh, the reader feel as though this is going to be horrible. It's kind of a treat to unpack some things that we don't often get to talk about, so... Like tell us about your journey in writing that and what are some of your favorite parts of your writer's journey with this particular book fed up?
1: Oh, good question. Yeah, I love that that's how you're how it landed with you because that is my philosophy and my approach to any kind of self-discovery work that I'm doing with myself. Like I want it to feel like a sleepover with myself. You know, it's like it's amazing to get to know ourselves on these deeper levels. It's, there's nothing scary inside of you. Like, even if it feels scary now, when you actually shine a light on it and look at it from all the angles, it's just more of you that wants to come back home. You know, there might be right. this. So yeah, it's, it It felt really, I was, I guess one of the best parts of the writing process was, you know, like, I guess I started out thinking I just need to tell the story of what happened, you know. Um and it was I knew it had to be for me. Like it had to be fun for me. I'm like if I have fun writing this, I think people will have fun reading it. Right. So, I did make it fun. And I started it. I mean, the crazy part about it was it started right before the 2020 pandemic hit, you know. Okay. Like that was I, I kind of had this idea and then talked with my publisher, who is just a dear friend of mine from New York. And we, you know, he was like, I think I'm going to give you a book deal. Let's do this. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's
0: happening. Oh, and, that's so exciting.
1: Yes. And at the time, I actually had plans to be going to Bali in March of 2020 um, to lead some improv workshops there. And it was right when, you know, all the flights got canceled and I felt this huge permission slip and not just permission slip, but maybe like a, a, an order from the universe to be like, sit down and write this book, start to finish. This book is your boyfriend. You're going to love this book. Like you love, you know, all the people that you've ever been obsessed with. And it, (laughs) So, yeah, that part of the writing process felt really fun.
0: (laughs) Oh, I think that is so terrific. Uh, That is fantastic. Good. And when did you know that your book would have benefits for so many other people besides yourself? When was that clear to you?
1: I mean, yeah, that's a great, great question. I guess, you know, I, I guess I get I get kind of trapped in my own bubble of you know everyone in my life is knows I'm very open about this and just as i've begun to share it with people that are a little bit outside of you know my friends and family people that i talk to regularly the ways that people light up who have had some sort of struggle like this and are just like oh my god you're talking about that like ah sure. oh, that kind of recognition And it's like, hey, I know we, you know, I know we got this thing going on, right? Like, like let's let's liberate, let's liberate the masses, right? Like, it's I really believe that each one of us, in allowing ourselves to be free, allowing ourselves to just fully be ourselves and not hold back about our truth and what our experience is, the more that we can do that, the more we're going to liberate. Everybody. And yeah.
0: I love that. Did you ever decide to stop going to Overeaters Anonymous? Or do you does that become a part of maintenance that you know that support is there? Because I'm a big believer in support. You know, just when we have an issue that we might need external help with, having support that is affordable and accessible is so amazing, not just to go get information from, but to share your journey with other people.
1: Oh yes. Being being in service is the whole everything. It feels like everything. If I'm not like there is something that we say in the rooms, like you if you're not willing whatever you're not willing to get away or it's no, it's not like this exactly, but it's like I get to keep what I'm whatever I'm willing to give away. And so it's like in the giving it away that we really receive. And I'm actually not currently going to Overeaters Anonymous meetings as regularly. I had another, there've been so many layers and unwrapping of my, of myself and my experience. And, you know, as soon as I started to feel almost like a, like an addictive, almost pull towards, you know, doing recovery in a certain way, it was like, okay, and even more freedom is available here, you know, and then I started moving in the direction of of intuitive eating and exploring what that looks like for me, as well as, you know, diving deeper into my own spiritual journey, because that's really the whole, you know, the thing that Overeaters Anonymous and working, mostly working the 12 steps, which are mm-hmm. um, consistent throughout all anonymous groups. It really... It's this process of taking a really honest look at your life and actually coming into integrity with all of the choices that I'm making and, and you know, bringing bringing myself into alignment with my higher self and my higher power, whatever you want to call that force, the universe, the, you know, this life force running through me allowing that to be my guiding force instead of my the little voice in my head that's trying to control all of reality so like changing my operating system over to I'm surrendering to a higher power has been what was the gateway for every everything in my life
0: I love it. I love that. Good. Mm-hmm. Good. And you know, the help is there, you know, the support is there, but you don't have to go constantly. It's, it's already changed your, like you said, your operating system, your belief system. And you are totally. not alone.
1: Yeah. It's, it's one of my sponsors um, said, I love She's like, I, my only job is to put your hand in your higher powers hand and oh. yeah. And it's like, once you're there, once you're in that flow the things that you're doing, you know, like maybe my flow will take me back into the rooms at another point in my life. It kind of comes in and out depending on what I need and what, you know, right? what is there? Yeah.
0: And Katie, what is the rooms? Is that a part of Overeaters
1: Anonymous. What is yeah. the rooms? Yeah, okay. so I I kind of say the rooms as like all of the anonymous groups kind of have like these rooms, right? These rooms okay. they're so sacred. These these meetings and these, you know, it's so funny talking about this on a podcast. I feel like I'm going to get in trouble, but you know, it's just it's it's uh yeah, like I I feel like it was such a gateway for me into living more truthfully and discovering what that even means. Right. You know, I would. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I love it. That is fantastic. I'm just so glad that you've gone through the process and come out the other side and are able to share fed up with me and with the rest of the world so we can have conversations. And I feel like Moms and dads and and other people. Maybe someday we'll have training. You know, there's there are commercials, public service announcements right now that really resonate with me about if someone's struggling with depression, that BetterHelp has put on TV, and it's a fabulous, funny way to know what not to say. You know, they have a little reenactment of some unfortunate things that people say. Things like, "Hey, just think about the good things in your life. Try to remember. A lot of people have it worse than you and Just stop getting stuck. And I feel like with raising children, that there will be someday dialogue for us to know. First of all, we want to be concerned that our kids eat healthfully, that they move well, all of those things. So that's responsible, but that we're not accidentally undermining the effort to make them feel confident, healthy, and amazing as they are.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. That's so beautiful. Like having the, you know, I mean, I, I think one of the biggest things when it comes to parenting, um, I'm not a parent myself, but I also, I also have a background in pediatric occupational therapy and working with parents who, especially I've also worked a lot with parents who have kids who have difficulty with feeding, right? Like there might be picky mm-hmm. eaters or, you know, and there's so much anxiety around, I mean, I can only imagine, not just around food, but every aspect of parenting. Like there's so much love that you have for this being and you just want them to be as happy and healthy and you know, well adjusted and all of that as possible. And what's amazing is actually doing the inner work as the parent, you know, as yourself. Um right. it trickles down like, you you know, you think that, oh, I need to help my kid be well adjusted. Actually looking in at myself and seeing where I'm feeling fear, where I'm feeling anxiety, where I'm feeling out of alignment. That is the, you know, like doing that inner work in an honest and really you know probing way and in a loving way, self-loving way. Like that has like such an impact on our kids and the way that they see themselves. Correct. Yeah. I love
0: that cuz we shine a light to you know it's a, it's like a mirror and what our anxiety about our kids is really like you said it's our anxiety sometimes about ourselves. As parents we do want our kids to be well adjusted and strong and confident but I think What I never would have admitted until I uh, got older was we also want the world to love them and think they're the best people ever and that you as a parent made a great contribution to the earth. And if especially a little girl, more than little boys, if a little girl is super heavy or showing signs that that's going to be in her future, sometimes we say all the wrong things because we're trying to spare them pain. And that's absolutely not helpful. (laughs) I'm not helpful at all.
1: Yeah. And like, and but also acknowledging the root of it is like, love, I want you to be comfortable. I want you to be right. accepted. I want you to be received with open arms by the world. And right. so instead of trying to change our kids, let's start changing the world.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I love that you've taken a first great step in doing that for us, Katie. So fantastic. Congratulations on your upcoming book, which is now hitting the stores and it's called Fed Up. And what's the subtitle, Katie?
1: Sure. It's Fed Up, an Illustrated Guide to Food Freedom.
0: Oh, fantastic. Well, thanks so much for being here. And where will people connect with you? Remind me of your website again. Sure. You can find more
1: info about the Fed Up. uh, Well, you can Go to thefedupbook.com to find out more information about ordering fed up. And um, I'm at thefedupbook on Instagram. So I'd love to connect with you there.
0: Perfect. Oh, so glad you were here today. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Lizbeth. This was really.
0: Thank you so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the show, please follow. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, tell a friend and go ahead and give us a review. I'll see you next week. Proud member of the Podnougan Network.